Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Break free from the forces holding you back. Get the life you deserve. Eliminate stress, reduce anxiety, decrease depression, and start living your full potential. Thousands have used Dr. Fujian Zane's Awareness Integration Theory, an evidence-based behavioral health breakthrough with incredible life-changing results. Getting rid of past trauma, having fulfilling relationships, increasing earnings, and living their best life. Now, the Fujian app is available to everyone. The app is Dr. Fujian Zane's Awareness Integration Theory in the palm of your hand. Download the Fujian app today.
Well, hello, Jahan Khamsazadeh. It is so nice to have you on the show. Thank you, Fujan. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, we're going to talk about your book, The Psilocybin Connection, Psychedelics, The Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution of the Planet. Now, this is a hot topic uh, for the past, um, let's say, about 10 years. It has become a hot topic again. Obviously, it was a purely a hot topic in 1960s. Mm -hmm. And in your book, you do go through the history of, um, you know, what the movement was, um, what happened to it, why was it a stop? But now it's like a whole different era of um, of research. It's an era of interest um, that has been sprung upon around um, psilocybin. And you have, a, this was your dissertation that then, you know, obviously turned into a book, but it's as I was going over your book, it you also come from a whole different perspective, which is the name of your book is the evolution of the planet. And it's really interesting. And I really love to hear about that. Thanks. Well, <clears throat> I had a huge life-changing experience with psilocybin at 18 that showed me like its power and potency. And ended up since then doing a lot of research on it and i felt like it really filled in so much the missing components of our evolutionary history and how we got here the idea first put forward by terence and dennis mckenna was that there's probably consciousness expanding compounds in the environment where humanity evolved that expanded our sense of creativity empathy cognition uh of time you know of all areas of our awareness and we know now there's over 200 different species of psilocybin mushrooms all around the world in every continent but Antarctica. It was there in the African savannas. There's archaeological evidence in Africa showing mushroom use, but we see mushroom use all around the world, including over the Americas in the few thousand years. And so as I kept doing the research, all the pieces kept coming together to really support this theory. And in 20 years of interest in this idea, I haven't come across a single contradiction. You know, I had to defend this in front of a committee and the book's been out there, you know, um, since April of last year and there's been no retort. Um, and as the neuroscience keeps pointing out, it keeps getting stronger and stronger. We know now that psilocybin stimulates neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons, the brain physically begins to grow. 65% of people have a mystical experience. So it's even the idea that psilocybin might've been the catalyst for religious experiences itself. So the more I kept doing the research, just the more fleshed out this idea started to become. Mm -hmm. So as you put it into the evolution of the planet, you're also looking at uh, like the connection of different um, uh, human beings around the world. It's obviously also mushrooms. Uh, um, in one of the uh, programs I was watching is that the mushrooms underneath the earth are all connecting to each other. And you're um, also, you're, Hypothesis is not only they were connecting um, under the earth, they were somehow through the vegetation, connecting human beings around the world together and bringing information from one sect to the other. Is that what I'm hearing from you? That's right. You know, to really understand this, I had to see this in an evolutionary ecological perspective. You know, I think we've had a very limited view on evolution. Um, for example, the one that's been dominant is uh, that of competition or survival of the fittest which is people or beings within a specific species competing. But the truth is we're more uh, affected by the entire environment and all the organisms. So there's this other idea of evolution that's gaining a lot of theory called symbiogenesis, that it's a coming together of different organisms that creates new beings. 
So you can see many animals in evolve to get different sources of food or to get away from predators and so on. And so the idea is that we evolved because of our diet, that there was a certain substance in the environment. And when we see what psilocybin is, it's just a compound coming. We find it in a mushroom, which is the fruit of a larger body called mycelium. Mycelium is this large underground network, sometimes stretching for miles that connects all the root systems in the environment. Uh, fungi is uh, 2.5 billion years old. Animals are 500 million. So it's about five times older. And we've always been evolving on top of this living web, connecting information, you know, and out of this ecological structure came to this psilocybin that fits to the 5-HT2A serotonin receptor better than serotonin in itself, creating a hyper-connected brain state with no biotoxicity. So it's one of the ways it seems to be that the environment is communicating and talking to the organisms within it. So in, obviously you've had a lot of your own experiences and you've done a lot of research around um, psilocybin. Um, when the experience is there, it seems like there's a connection that create gets created within and also with all. Uh, it's not even without, but it's with all. Um, there's a sense mm -hmm. of connection. There's a sense of oneness. Uh, there's a mm -hmm. sense of opening your world and then also internally kind of like getting connected with all of the less than lost selves and, you know, the areas of you, whether they were done with it because of trauma or they were held back because you chose, because they weren't accepted by the society. So you needed to hold back those areas of yourself. And it seems like um, the research is showing that it's connecting the different parts of the brain together. So you're getting access to all parts of you that are, uh, that are there um, and maybe hidden for a while. Um, so they're, they've done a lot of work with PTSD, they've done a lot of work with uh, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorders, and also uh, addiction, where addiction is also sometimes you look at it as split self, and um, many of uh, the psychedelic has been able to, in research to show that people have been able to connect and let go and release and, um, you know, uh, go through recovery of um, addiction, whether it was opioids or stimulants. Um, what are your experiences in um, two layers? One is that obviously the therapeutic aspect of it, which is gaining more momentum in research, and then um, you know, um, entertaining use, or let's say, or self-growth use that has been happening uh, around the world now. Yeah, you know, definitely. I think one and the same, the self-growth and the healing. And I think you're getting to the, the root of the actual healing itself is this deep sense of connection. You know, I'd argue that almost all of our emotional difficulties and uh, psychological problems, including that addiction, come from a sense of disconnection with ourselves, the environment, other people. You know, a lot of research shows that the antidote to addiction is connection. We weren't getting enough connection, so we start to retreat away and move into substances and the whole kind of shame spiral starts to hit, which creates more disconnection between self. And so psilocybin, as I mentioned, creates this hyper-connected brain state, connects all of you. And so there's a sense of unity people feel, not just with themselves, but with everything. And so a lot of us grew up feeling fractured from society or from the planet or from the divine, and all those fractures begin to heal. Or we have fracturedness between ourselves where we have a lot of repressed memories and repressed emotions, you know, so all those dislocated part of us come up to be integrated. And so I, what I've seen, because I've been doing this work legally in Jamaica for many years, I'll be going out, back out next month. 
that people tend to primarily come in for the healing parts, meaning they're in pain and that's what's motivating them to come, but they keep coming back for the growth. Their life starts to get tremendously better and really improve. And even when they come to be very healthy beings, they keep coming back because they're excited about the positive changes they start making in their lives. So how do you uh, see the healing happening as they come in um, to the process of the psilocybin? So if you could share with our audience, what is it that they can actually expect, although everybody's journey would be different, but what is it that people can expect from going to a, toward a journey? And then uh, how? what is the safest way that if someone wanted to actually uh, experience the experience should they go into research facilities such as john hopkins or you know map or uh, berkeley institute and that's what they need to do or is it the other ways of creating kind of like safety where they can trust and how can they assess in order to trust uh let's say a setting or where they can actually go through this experience yeah, no thank you <clears throat> you know the way i see this Right now, there's two major forms of like traumas, like something awful happened to you throughout childhood or there's war, there's rape repeated amount of time. And the other kind of trauma is you lacked something like there wasn't enough safety or connection or attention when you were young. And so that being said, some people come into the journey and they might experience all this repressed pain and agony of fear because maybe they were abused or there was sexual molestation and they repressed these experiences. And so they might come in and move through pain, fear, guilt, shame, rage for hours, but then their body integrates this and they like, you know, I've seen people stop addiction overnight. Like they've been drinking every day. They realize there's a childhood trauma. It's dealt with sometimes in one session and they've stopped drinking. That being said, what I found really curious is maybe about 70% of the most healing experiences wasn't plunging into the deep pain. It was actually experiencing deep love and deep sense of bliss and connection and safety and oneness. And so many people I've seen, they're like, I've never felt peace before like this, or like, I thought I knew what love meant and now I get it. And now this gives them a new point of reference for their entire lives of how they can live, how the world can be, that they're actually healed. Most people come in feeling like they're not enough. And that's could be completely obliterated at times and other people need more work. So it, it's both this feeling of love and safety and then integrating the whole. And as far as best ways for people to work with it right now, you know, I first and foremost recommend working with um, a trained individual, a therapist, a guide, you know, some kind of ceremonial facilitator. Uh, so that they know the territory, they've done this a lot, they can provide safety, they take care of the set and setting. Uh, the most important ingredient is that you trust them. You know, if you don't feel safe, you're not going to open up. But if you feel safe, you can go like go a lot deeper. Uh, the work's, you know, partly illegal, but people are still finding guides and therapists that are doing this work. We opened up the retreat center in uh, Jamaica. It's Otman Retreats to create a safe legal place for this. Also work with Synthesis. They're out in the Netherlands. They have a retreat center over there. There's more and more centers that are opening up. Um, in different countries that there is either gray zones or completely white zones. And we're two years away right now from federal legalization in the United States. You know, So within two years, doctors will be able to prescribe this medicine and you take it safely in the clinic. Surprisingly, um, Australia was the first to make complete legalization of MDMA and psilocybin that's happening July 1st. You know, they already said it. So they kind of jumped the whole lead, even though we've been working towards it for about 20 years in the U.S., so more and more is becoming accessible, you know, so the main places are either in a group ceremony that's more indigenous 
uh, went to a kind of therapeutic center or recreational. You know, people sometimes go to festivals and so on where there's a lot of infrastructure to take care of you if you have difficult psychedelic experiences. And what would be some um, difficult psychedelic experiences? Like when I've, I've gone to Colombia or uh, Costa Rica um, in um, ceremonial retreats for ayahuasca, um, you could see a range of just people, um, you know, laughing and having fun and really going into the love experience that you saw and to the other range of yelling, screaming, purging emotions, um, you know, fumbling and, um, and, and, you know, uh, really experiencing the darkness and their fears. Um, and um, what are, what are some of the experiences such as, uh, is it, is it first, for example, with the ayahuasca, what I was watching is like the first night, uh, people were going through purging their fears. And then the second night, it was this lightness and love. Is this the same similar experience with psilocybin where at the beginning they go through or it could be different? It could be. It can go back and forth, but th that's the ranges. You know, like it does make sense logically. There's more of a clearing and letting go of the trauma and the difficulties and the fear that comes from a sense of disconnection and separation is that clears people can really open their hearts. Um, but I've also seen it go the other way around. But as you're mentioning, you know, the medicines can be so healing unparalleled, but you have to be willing to integrate the dark and the light, the whole range, you know? And so I've had the hardest times of my whole life on psychedelics, and I've also had the best and most important parts of my life on psychedelics. And so you have to be willing to face any emotion, all the fears, all the difficulties. So it's not an easy thing to ask somebody to do to really go into all of it. But that's why the safe container is is a really good place to 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 have constructed, and you know this, these medicines have been we're talking about say psilocybin, MDMA at certain doses, ayahuasca, LSD, they're safe. You know we've been studying these for a very long time. Psilocybin, LSD, you know theoretically you have to take a thousand doses to kill yourself. You know so that's not going to happen. But there is the potential of psychological trauma if you're feeling not safe and it's not held. If if you're going through a terror experience. And then somebody's not holding you or you're feeling abandonment, you know, we're dealing with childhood wounds and the person drops you, you might feel the abandonment worse, you know? So this is where the therapeutic relationship between the guy, the therapist or the shaman and the participants really important. Have you noticed that, um, is, is it more healing when it happens in a group setting or is it more um, healing when it happens, for example, on an individual setting, but with a trained like therapist or a shaman? You know, they speak to different needs that we have. Um, yeah, I've been grateful to seeing hundreds of people undergo these experiences. And, you know, if I just look at the specific uh, work we've been doing in Jamaica, because we do it with 12 people at a time, you know, most people come in for the medicine, like they're, they're in pain, they've been, they have cancer, a child's died, they've been depressed for 20 years. And so what we noticed within the first uh, retreat, which, you know, was it's pretty apparent, is Secondary to the psilocybin itself, the next best medicine that was there was the group experience. Almost all of us have some kind of wounding around belonging and community. All of us have some kind of wounding with our family system. And so this heals that. People's boundaries dissolves, their heart opens, everybody else is doing the same thing. They share something really beautiful and special together. You know, we've seen after years, a lot of these people form relationships and keep in touch and start, you know, forming like their cohorts. And so 
this sense of deep connection is what's healing, whether it's through the medicine or in community. You know, that being said, if somebody's working with a really high level deep trauma, you know, that they're hard time to integrate, it's best to have that one to one attention. You know, the group ceremony may not be the best. One, if the person's going through a lot of pain and fear and crying and yelling, it distracts the rest of the group. So you have to be a little bit more contained. And well, in this group setting, you know, we take it very seriously. There's one facilitator for every four individuals. So there's a lot of time and attention. But that's not same as one-to-one where, I, you know, somebody sits next to the person for seven hours and really attunes and tracks every one of their movements and is completely there and available for anything that comes up. It's a, a, such a specialized care. So I think it depends on the severity of the trauma people are working with and how will, you could take higher doses one-to-one. You know, you can go in a lot further because somebody's really there to take care of you. Everyone. The Psilocybin Connection, Psychedelics, the Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution of the Planet. It's an integral approach. It's a great, great book by Dr. Jahan Khansazadeh. Um, Jahan, what is, um, as you, what enticed you personally to um, go into the, let's say, first experimentation and then the practice where uh, you wanted to do your dissertation on this, and now you know you're really leading uh, resorts and 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 um, retreats and and really supporting. What is it about this methodology of the psychedelic, which is different, for example, than regular psychotherapy or uh, healing methodologies that have been there before? Yes. So, I mean, I, I love therapy, you know, been studying it for 10 years, been in it myself for that long, been an interest for 20. Um, and what I've seen is talking only goes so deep because this is, we're talking about it's stuck in the person's unconscious in their body. Also, the two years of training somatic psychotherapy, which is working directly with the body and getting the emotions out, and which I think goes much deeper in tantric practices that work with sexual energy and so on. But this really helps open up their entire center of consciousness and identity, which unlocks all this repressed material. You know, I've seen so many people come in and they're like, I didn't get this deep within 20 years of psychotherapy that I got today. And I've experienced that myself. I've had journey experiences where I never would have gotten this level of healing. So, you know, if I look at just the plant medicines, we're, we're creating a deeper relationship with nature. It's nature that's healing us. You know, we tend to look at these just as drugs. I'm like, these have been around for millions of years, you know, and they've been used by indigenous societies around the world for millennia. And that's at the beginning of, of humanity itself. Um, yeah, so I, I think it just gets to the core of, of, of the root of things. It's like you're giving a medicine. So Stan Groff, one of the best researchers in the field, he's worked in the area for 50 years. He says they catalyze holotropic states of consciousness, states that organically self-organize into healing. So given the right kind of dose, the material tends to bubble up on itself. So we can see specifically what needs to be dealt with. Now let's switch it to the other side of it for everybody, not only that are skeptics, but also, um, you know, to be safe. This medicine might not be, um, this plant might not be for everyone. So in the rise, the same way that when marijuana became legal, we saw a rise in, um, you know, um, paranoia and sometimes schizophrenia. Uh, the past year, we've seen a lot more because a lot more people have had access to it and, you know, culturally uh, it shifted the idea about it. So 
Um, obviously, people who at one point might have been fearful or not taking it or they didn't want to pay the consequences now without necessarily having an assessment or having to see whether they had different um, genetic, um, maybe illnesses in their family, um, they started trying out. And even with the first um, maybe try with marijuana, you know, they became psychotic and um, uh, kind of stayed, like it opened up that genetic factor. What are what would your suggestions be for people who, um, you know, how can they assess whether this is the right plant for them or not? Or what would, you know, where can they go to create those assessments? Uh, what is it that they need to watch uh, to see if any of these um, psychedelics would be the appropriate, um, you know, medicine for them or appropriate healing modality uh, versus putting themselves in a position that unfortunately might have, and I'm not just talking about one bad trip, I'm talking about actually uh, creating a lifetime issues for themselves. You know, my genuine answer is, as far as I could tell, if I just look at psilocybin, it might be the right medicine for everybody, just not the right medicine for everybody at any given moment. You know, we need to be in a very stable place. It can be very destabilizing. A lot of pain and fear and trauma can um, it can be very confusing. You need to have a good support structure, you know. And as we mentioned, the, the container is probably the most important. And so there's specific cases where I don't think we have the containers for it yet. So we're dealing with somebody with schizophrenia or borderline, you know, or, or people that just their mood swings with their bipolar is just too large. Um I think it can possibly, of course, there hasn't been research on them, but it can. I think it can eventually help them heal because it, it creates a sense of wholeness and feels the fractured part of themselves and lets go of the fear that's there. Like, so, for example, like with paranoid schizophrenia, people feel the universe is always talking to them, but it's coming out of fear. So they're constantly scared. I think that can heal. You know, same with the, the I think the bipolar, the borderline uh, stuff around abandonment, attachment, I think it can help heal. But they would need an entire team. These are hard special cases, and and, and like a facility they could stay at for a week, you know. Um, and we we're not there, you know. First, we need legalization to happen. We need people trained in those very specific personality, like say disorders and types that can really attune to them, and that they have a doctor on board, a lot of people caring for all their needs. And so, I think eventually we can get there. Um, so I think if people have been diagnosed with. Specifically, those two personality disorders come to mind, either um, borderline or schizophrenia. I'd be I'd stay away because it can make things a lot, lot, lot harder. Um, you know, and, and there's other routes. So there's like microdosing that seems to be almost nothing when it comes to harm. We haven't seen anything yet. And it's building a small relationship with the medicine and it still creates a, the growth of new brain cells. And people report feeling more patient, more ease, more at safe. 10% of people do uh, see a small spike in anxiety, but it's negligible. Okay. I'm like, maybe you took it and you didn't feel, you felt anxious for three hours. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe don't do it right now. You know? And I've, I've heard that more with MDMA, right? I haven't necessarily heard higher anxiety with psilocybin though in research. 
Yes, you can get all that. I mean, I've taken psilocybin and microdosing on anxiety and a few other people have, including with L. So James Fadiman has been the lead researcher in this area and he kind of really kind of coined the term. And he's, uh, you know, he's done a questionnaire with about 1,500 people and about 10% reported um, a small increase in anxiety while 90% in, like reported improvements, including um, the lessening of anxiety. So there's no medicine. What I have found is there's no medicine that's 100% effective for everybody. You know, if we look at just the clinical trials with psilocybin, it's 80% effective for treatment-resistant depression, people that no other medication has worked for, 80% effective for nicotine, 80% for alcohol, um, helps with near-end-of-life anxiety, right? So, so, so many things, but, but those clinical trials are getting an 80%, but it's 80% for a very hard group of other things that haven't worked for. So, I mean, I've given the medicine to people, you can see in Jamaica, where you can give them a large amount and like nothing happens. And it's still a conundrum of, wow, I just gave you, you know, 10 grams of mushrooms and you're not feeling anything. Okay. Right. So that exists. Um, and so that might not be the right medicine for them maybe ever, or maybe not right now. Maybe they need to do some other kind of work or they need to do it repeatedly. Their, their system's so closed down that they're kind of numb to the sense of self and their experience. And then it's okay to, you know, if it doesn't work the very first time. So as long as things are done really safely, I think it's okay to keep trying because it's it could it could, it's non-toxic by its essence. So one of the things I'm hearing from you is if um and I'm adding, I, I guess, this part, mm -hmm. which is if you have um um an illness in your family system, if you are an adult and have watched yourself go from uh, one extreme to another in mood disorders that maybe your path should be, if you want to try this, to actually try it with facilities who are um, known and they're um, well um, suited for research and they have a team that can be there for you and they can look at all of those aspects instead of going to retreats and, and places that are more for self-growth and they're not necessarily set up to handle mental illnesses. They're just set up for uh personal growth and you're saying if in any format that you have been diagnosed with any type of a mental condition maybe you also in order to protect yourself is go to a facilities that are more medical oriented and are at this point they're still doing research because because of the legality issue we don't have medical facilities at this point are just doing I mean, we do have ketamine clinics, but we don't have psilocybin clinics at this point or ayahuasca clinics. The only places that are um, monitoring and doing it in um, in a closed radar are still places such as John Hopkins and MAP and Berkeley Institute and some of these institutes, integral institutes that I think you came from. So I uh, so it. I guess this is what I'm really wanting the, for the, our audience to hear that you do, you are responsible to take care of yourself. That although, uh, you know, these are plants that have been there for many, many years and we're finding that they're helping a lot of people, but you're ultimately still responsible to make a choice to see whether this is for you or not. And if this is, you think that you want to try it and you've had mental illness diagnosis within yourself or family please, please uh, attempt to first go to some of these research uh, institutes. But if that's not the case and you want to try it, then as you were saying, um, uh, Jahan, where they could go into retreats and places where they can trust that they get, that there's a safe setting for them, 
and um, you know they can interview and see if this is a place they can feel and um, you know maybe they've um, had other friends to go. For example, I've had, I remember um, many, many, many people had talked to me about whether places to go. And um, I finally went to uh, this two shamans because of actually one of my clients who actually went there. And just the way you said, I had been working with this client for about a year and a lot of these pieces that we were working, she uh, decided to go to um, uh, one of the ayahuasca retreats and came back and it felt like everything we had worked on suddenly integrated and it was it was, it was almost like a natural part of her you know how like you learn new things and then you keep vacillating you go um, consciously you do all of these new um, ideas and behaviors but then your subconscious kind of like takes you back and you know how we say like two two steps forward and one step back after her experience Everything we had worked on, it was like now a natural setting. Like it was like effortless. It was just is. And that's how I saw the experience. And then I decided to um, go to uh, Colombia. Um, and then you, and, and very much my experience was I had never experienced this type of love ever. I mean, I was love with the walls. <laughs> with every essence of, of air that I've never experienced before. And I can say pretty clearly that if I, for my whole life, had a low-grade dysthymia, that if if I, if with any type of upset that I would go really deep and then I had to like crawl myself back up, and obviously years of years of me doing therapy and, you know, self-growth, it was still like, you know, um, I could be there any minute again. Like I'm holding <laughs> myself up, but I can, you know, could go back. Um, that has never come back again. It's like it just yeah. elevated, um, elevated it to the different level where my baseline was always low grade depression and holding my head up high. It shifted the baseline up. And it just doesn't go there anymore. So um, that has been my experience. So mine has been with ayahuasca, not psilocybin. But I see, and I talk to a lot of people now. We're doing research. I'm presenting on it. And obviously, when um, such as yours, you know, you do research in books. I, I have a lot of conversation. And um, in the world of psychiatry, um, obviously, we have a lot of people who are afraid. Same thing would happen again with marijuana. It's been there for many years. However, we see a spike of um you know um paranoia and schizophrenia suddenly so obviously you can see with the world of psychiatry there's a little bit of worry about um a fad taking on and i think probably this was the worry 1960s um but it's more like how can you educate people and that's why i'm taking this on which is how can we educate people where they can be responsible and where they go, how they do it, and uh, how they can go to people to get integrated, even if they went somewhere and came back. Um, if they're feeling uneasy, how could they go now to people who are uh, trained to at least get integrated, um, everything that they experience into their system? What are your thoughts about what I just said? Yeah, totally. I think 
the education part is probably the first and foremost important part right now, I think happening within the movement and others are like accessibility and having, you know, whether it's to the medicine or accessibility to train facility people. So it's done safely, but you know, the concern people might have of like, Oh my God, are they legal or decriminalized and everybody's going to be running down the streets, taking psilocybin when, when it's unfounded, that's not what's going to happen. But what we do need is an increase of education because people should educate themselves very well before taking these. They're very potent medicines, you know? So, so throughout indigenous societies and human history, they've been seen as medicines and only within a spiritual context. And they're done with elders there and it's passed down a family line. And it's just like, you're, it's a community bonding. It's, it's very sacred, you know, a lot of prayers involved. And we kind of lacked those contexts um, during the 1960s. So, you know, Michael Pollan in his book, um, How to Change Your Mind, the bestseller, he says, at what other point in human history did the youth have a, such a searing rite of passage that the prior generation didn't understand? So, you know, we thought these were fun toys and drugs and, you know, the, what we had to kind of compare it to was like alcohol. And so people were just taking them all the time and having explosive experiences and, uh, you know, the older generation got really scared and angry. The government got concerned and kind of used it to attack. And so what we need to change largely is the stigma that happens through education. You know, we have to see like there's solid science for decades now around this. There's worldwide use with many different societies that have been using them for a long time. Um, if done right, they cre help create a, a healthy society. You know, ours is really, I think most people would agree, really out of balance. And it helps create balance within the system and argues between the environment. And so, you know, even this idea of like people might have this fear of legalization. Well, what's actually far more harmful is somebody being put in jail. <laughs> but these substances, you're scared of somebody having a traumatic experience, putting them in jail for five years. It's hard to even equate that level of trauma people go through to they took mushrooms by themselves, you know? So we need to get rid of like the harm that society's right now imposing on it. And I think most of it just comes from out of miseducation and misrepresentation of these medicines because they are so mysterious by their nature. Uh, some of the fears about accessibility that um, this is pretty accessible at this point on on every level um so if people are afraid that by legalization there's going to be more accessibility it's pretty accessible so there's no need for that to be worried it's all over the place anyway um so it's just a matter of what you said which is uh there's a fear of um well there is the truth that when something is illegal, people are tend not to go. I remember with the legalization, um, although I, I voted for it and I believe in it, that you know people should be responsible and they don't have to be jailed. And uh, on. But I did get, to be honest with you, Jahan, for many, many, many people who, because it was illegal, that they would not um, risk the concepts of maybe like that they're uh, careers or uh, any issue that had to do with it. Like they didn't want to have the after effect consequences. So it kind of held them from that. And the minute that, you know, it got legalized, I had seen people who um, uh, pretty much would have never used. Now they were more like, oh, let me check. And unfortunately, actually, one of my uh, dear, dear, dear friends who was high uh, level um, CEO Unfortunately, they did have that genetic disposition and because they started using and enjoying it and went into daily use, 
that they went completely psychotic and um, untreatable, um, yeah, untreated psychosis and just refused to get, uh, you know, get to, to treatment. So you could see that it does open that path. And I think seeing what's going on where it was, you know, was alcohol and usage of alcohol and Xanax together or driving where people came in and said, no, alcohol is free, but you can't drive on it because now you're getting other people unsafe. Um, or the concept of education that needs to happen, for example, with marijuana, since it is everywhere, and not legally, federally, but in many states, I do believe that we um, that education about the different types of psychedelics is very, very important. Um, and so thank you for taking this on and putting it in a book and bringing it out and educating people um, about what can be and if they wanted to use this on a safe place which they are responsible for their own safety how to pick and choose where they need to go when they need to do this how to gain the support and how to maybe even uh create a setup where uh, they have a system to support them after you know their experience where they're not like you know left without a support afterward mm -hmm. No, I think it's great for people. There's so many people, you can find them online that they're already trained in um, as uh, psychedelic integration kind of coaches or psychedelic integration therapists. So a lot of people have already gotten different levels of trainings. They can't administer the medicine, but if you go to an ayahuasca ceremony or have psilocybin somewhere, you can already set it up for several weeks afterwards or checking in with a trained person to help you integrate the experience. It's there to keep you in check and kind of keep you stable and, and also motivate you to make the changes, you know? Um, so that's, that's more and more becoming available. Um, yeah, you know, so I want people at least to be able to make their own decisions around this. So, you know, instead of it being stripped and one of our big thinkings, um, to do with this legally in Jamaica was we know there's maybe half the population doesn't want to do things that are legal, whether it's a moral issue, they think it's actually bad or they're scared. They're not going to. So we wanted to create a space for that population. They just fly out and we could do it completely legally. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's so sad that people might lose the opportunity to have what, you know, what we found in the clinical studies after 20 years, about a one third of the people say that single experience was one of the most important in their entire lives. It's huge. It's huge. You don't want to take that opportunity away from people. The, most people I'm sitting in deep pain, regret, or they haven't experienced real love before. I think it's, you know, you know, so yeah, Terrence McKenna, probably my favorite philosopher, he's uh, worked in the field of psychedelics for a long time. He he puts it up there as a foundational element of the human experience, you know, along there with like having sex, if you want to have kids, all these experiences. This is up there, you know, it's experience of like, wow, I know my true nature. I know who I am. I finally feel free. I've I've been in a mental construct prison around my shame my whole life. Like they deserve to be free. And so it's a there are opportunities for some harm. Like people, it's about 1% of the population have, I think have a predisposition possibly to schizophrenia and normally shows up with their teens, early twenties. So yeah, let's be cautious, you know, but for the other large amount of humanities, we don't want to strip this away from them. So, so again, I think we're moving at the pace of safety. That's why it's going so slow in the federal trials. It's around the corner. Um, I'm about to fly out to um, Wisconsin next month to go visit the USONA facility. They're one of the leading research companies for psilocybin. They're they're pushing. They're on the third round of FDA trials, so they're going to be one of the first two companies 
to bring legalization. And I'm glad I was hired as a consultant to go look at the space because they're trying to engineer design. What can ceremony rooms look like? You know, like next level of we bringing in high level lighting with the architecture, with the sound system and everything. A lot of the journey is internal, but if it's filled with light and beauty in the space, would that also enhance to the aesthetics and sacredness, you know? So I think there's going to be ways of space holding that we still can't see that still hasn't been available because uh, legalization legalization has been restricted. Is psilocybin connection, psychedelics, the transformation of consciousness and evolution of the planet. It's an integral approach. It's a book by Dr. Jahan Khamsasadeh. Um, anything we haven't shared that you really want people to know? Yeah, people check out my website, psychedelicevolution.org. The book's on all the platforms. Um, it's also on the Kindle and audiobook format and Audible. So it's uh, it was, it was a lot biggest. It took like five years of work. So I'm really proud of it and happy that it's getting out there. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me and my audience. Thank you. It's not, it was such an honor to be here. For all of you who are out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next time. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Break free from the forces holding you back. Get the life you deserve. Eliminate stress, reduce anxiety, decrease depression, and start living your full potential. Thousands have used Dr. Fujian Zane's Awareness Integration Theory, an evidence-based behavioral health breakthrough with incredible life-changing results. Getting rid of past trauma, having fulfilling relationships, increasing earnings, and living their best life. Now, the Fujian app is available to everyone. The app is Dr. Fujian Zane's Awareness Integration Theory in the palm of your hand. Download the Fujian app today.